Welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. No, I am not Chris Lacey. I am Eric Landstrom, filling in for Chris Lacey, whose vacation paperwork was approved well in advance. Thank you, Rory. Uh, Today, we're hopping in the extreme time machine and charging back to February 1999 to look at all things ECW and a storyline heavy month this one. This is volume three of three volumes, I believe, this month. Volume one takes a look at a giant surprise at the WWF St. Valentine's Day Massacre pay-per-view. And Volume 2 covers whatever WCW decides to do this month to alienate its fan base at Super Brawl 9. Joining me with his barbed wire bat already on fire, always prepared this one, is Bob Colling. Bob, how are you? I am doing terrific. How are, you, how are you doing? I'm all right. You know, I don't host very often, so I'm hoping to just not crash Chris Lacey's Porsche here. He's giving me the keys. He's letting me drive it. And I'm just going to try to, you know... Obey all speed limits and, oh, fuck it, it's ECW, who cares? Uh, Before we get started here, uh, Patreon, yes, no, not $17 a day, uh, but uh, $5 a month, wrestling 20 years ago, uh, uh, Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash wrestling20yrs, tons of bonus content. I think we're covering a bunch of elimination chambers this month. I maybe was supposed to do one of those and maybe still will, we'll see. Um, But uh, if you like what you hear, head on over and plunk down a couple of hard-earned dollars we're not asking you for cash. We're asking you to reciprocate for all this content uh, that you download free every month, and we appreciate it uh, for you. No time for delay. Straight to the news. Bob, what do the headlines tell us this month? Well, we can't do nothing for you, man. Public Enemy is back in ECW. And Public Enemy has left ECW. Public Enemy initially returned to ECW to take on the Dudleys at Living Dangerously in March, or at least that's what was reported. But after securing a WWF deal, and not feeling like the EC crowd, ECW crowd popped big enough for them in their return, seriously, and not wanting to do the job for the Dudleys, seriously, Public Enemy no-showed this month's Queens New York taping, which we'll talk about in the second half of the show. When informed by Johnny Grunge that Public Enemy would not be attending the event as previously scheduled, Heyman supposedly said he wouldn't forget the enemy walking out on ECW. Something, something, sunny pun. Here we go again. Yes, as predicted by yours truly months ago, and certainly I'm not a Nostradamus about this, it appears Tammy Lynn Sitch is causing herself and Chris Candido problems backstage. Tammy was arrested on February 5th in New Jersey after violating a restraining order filed by her mother. Yes, her mother. Initial reports were that Tammy was fired and Chris suspended from the promotion. It then came out that Heyman had suspended both and wanted each to, quote, admit their problems, end quote. But as of recording time, Heyman was dissatisfied with an online apology posted by the couple, and the suspension continues. This whole situation has led what appeared to be a Chris and Tammy versus Shane and Francine program to die on the vine. Living dangerously. Yes, not the pay-per-view coming up in March, but uh, instead drug use in the ECW locker room is apparently at an all-time high. Bob, are you shocked by this news? I'm not. Uh, For you detail-oriented folks like Bob and I, that means both illegal and prescription drugs. It has been reported that an ECW employee regularly sweeps the locker room after a show for drug paraphernalia. 
Of course, we've already mentioned Chris and Tammy, but even low-card guys apparently exploit ECW's lax drug policy by using pain pills and other prescriptions freely in the locker room. As happens with these salacious stories, no other names were attached. On the perhaps the more positive side of things, uh, RVD was featured in High Times Magazine this month. Draw your own conclusions. And not reported to be drug-related, but still uh, health concerns uh, befell Shane Douglas this month, and he missed a few, a few house shows because of it. The situation was so tense at a certain point that Shane threatened to quit the promotion. It seems Shane's illness was nearly the straw that broke the camel's back, more than the singular basis for his discontent. Lance Storm also missed house shows due to pneumonia. And Tammy Lynn Bitch, or as she's known this month, New Beulah, and I'm reading this from Wade, quote, had a number of plastic surgeries, including on her breasts, lips, and cheeks. Thank you, Wade. And poor Jason, oh, poor Jason, fractured his neck at a February 18 house show. Still didn't stop him from taking a spear from Francine later on in the month. Are you in need of a mysterious benefactor? I might be if, if you know one, but ECW certainly does. Um, ECW is reportedly on the brink of a financial meltdown. Where's this news been coming for the past three years? It seems a little late. Uh, several wrestler and staff checks have bounced recently. Wrestlers have not received pay-per-view bonuses from the last two or three shows. Heyman was telling his workers and the public that private investment money was on the horizon. But pending an influx of cash, ECW has stopped flying in low-card talent to some tapings and shows. And uh, Bob... I'm devastated to report that includes the Big Don. No. By recording time, all speculative investors have fallen through, if there had been any in the first place, which leaves ECW $700,000 in deficit. Heyman, while reportedly strongest on creative, but we did watch November to remember, Heyman is certainly weakest on the business side of things, no surprises there. He apparently has no system of record keeping to speak of, which makes securing a traditional business loan impossible. ECW is also paying huge dollars to get its TV on air. While dire days could be on the horizon, most of the ECW locker room is reportedly optimistic that ECW's finances can be turned around, and the promotion will continue. Fingers crossed the Italian government steps in and makes things right. Bob, freestyle time. What catches your ear with the news this month? Well, the public enemy thing is uh, kind of funny. You, you kind of made a joke there about public, uh, public enemy being upset about the lack of reaction. I mean, when I saw their return, it, de it did seem like maybe the ECW crowd wasn't as excited as maybe anticipated to have them back in there. Yeah. It uh, seems like Paulie hyped that more in his own mind into the public enemy than even the crowd was, was wanting to see. Yeah. I don't think that that was a huge, like big, like, I don't think it was a big deal for fans to see them coming back, especially against the Deli Boys. So I'm not really surprised uh, by that. And I'm not surprised by them no showing queens uh, either um and then the, having to drop the candido or like the mixed tag like feud with candido and shane tammy and francine i'm sure we'll get into it later but uh, that's kind of disappointing because there's maybe some promising results there um i thought of the mysterious benefactor you would uh, maybe know the guy that would be revealed later on mm, surprises maybe. my friend surprises yeah, maybe he would have some extra money to throw in there since he's apparently rich now. So, um, yeah, I mean, like the drug thing can't really be seen as a major surprise. Um, yeah, I mean, there's $700,000, though, for debt, and then they're still optimistic about it. As you noted, Heyman has no history of business. He's He, he probably needs someone 
to handle that side and he can just handle you know the tv and creatively you know the creative direction he'd be far better off in that role it, it seems like maybe todd gordon was the guy that kind of did all the grunt work and the book work backstage and you know they had a falling out todd and paul and instead of bringing in somebody who could maybe do that job full-time paul just kind of divvied up the tasks between the wrestlers and you know this is nothing to disparage tommy dreamer and bubba dudley and all the guys in taz who i think all or most have college educations and are probably very you know above average intelligence for for professional wrestlers and that's not right. meant, meant to be disparaging but they're not trained accountants they're not trained attorneys they're not trained you know businessmen or business women you know it seems like hopefully it's not too late to bring somebody in to maybe write the ship do the books and maybe give ecw the the financial balance it needs uh, I, I can't see paul pulling this together himself man no there's i, I don't see it happening either in any way yeah we'll just go straight to the hardcore tv from the 6th of february uh this is a really storyline heavy month not a lot of great in-ring action uh, but certainly a lot going on um, on screen. So Hardcore TV, February 6th, and we open with Fonzie, RVD, and Sabu in the locker room. We're in Michigan, not Battle Creek. I think we're in Detroit or, or darn close. But uh, either way, Fonzie says Sabu will continue his uncle's legacy, his uncle being the original Sheik, of course, legend of Detroit. And, of course, we're in the same state as Battle Creek, which RVD is quick to point out. Joey hypes the public enemy. Uh, this whole thing has been spoiled already. But anyway, uh, we cut to last week's Dudley promo where Bubba buried public enemy prior to their return. Before television tonight, we're told there was a Dudley's public enemy scrap. And Joey promises more information. Uh, Shane comes out with Francine. Uh, they're really laying it on thick with Shane being a face these days. Joey calls Shane the greatest champion in ECW history several times. Stop the fucking music. That hasn't changed. And we're off. Detroit is riotous for Shane or Francine. Uh, Shane cut his hair, for those of you who pay attention to those sorts of things. Shane sends Francine back uh, to the locker room, but she's cut off by Chris and Tammy. They attack Shane and Francine in the aisle. Chris with some real stiff shots on Shane. My goodness. Cultivating a potato farm in there. Based on the rest of the month's developments, this segment meant nothing. Too bad, because, Bob, I was all in on a Chris versus Shane and maybe even a Chris and Tammy versus Shane and Francine program after this scrap. They were beating the shit out of each other. Yeah, I was I was enjoying it. I, I wasn't even really expecting it. Because I, I believe, uh, like, Douglas had got involved in a Quintito match, I think in Queens, if I'm correct, which kind of spilled over into this. Is that right? Am I remembering correctly? I believe so. I, I there, there, there had been some brewing... Um, there had been some brewing tensions between the two for a little while. Um, but, yeah, they made it very clear here that Shane was to be the face in any incarnation of any feud he was in moving forward. And I was excited to see Chris Candido, who has kind of settled into that dickish, you know, workman-like wrestler heel, not too unlike Tully Blanchard, really, um, against a face Shane. That could be a really cool kind of like Ric Flair-ish versus Tully Blanchard-ish uh, program, but for ECW in the late 90s. I agree. I Again, like it was the segment came off very well, and I don't really recall us seeing much of a Douglas Candido singles match. I mean, they've always been aligned together, so it's something fresh. And with the constant tease here of Douglas either retiring or leaving or whichever, uh, if Candido were to get a win over the greatest ECW world champion of all time, uh, it could greatly help Candido's image in ECW, which has kind of always been second tier. Mm -hmm. But uh, you know, so like a victory over Douglas in this role could have been great. And 
it could go on for a while, especially if you incorporate the women. I mean, if you were to go and do house shows, um, you know, all over, you know, the Northeast, you go a couple of months with Douglas Candido and then you can return with mixed tags and go back to Douglas and Candido again. So you can probably make money off of this several times over uh, and get a good actual in-ring match, with some, which sometimes ECW lacks, I would say. Yeah, and, I, you know, I think it has been kind of a rough couple of years for ECW in the ring. And this could be, you know, Shane's not... I think we've talked about how Shane's not the greatest worker in the world, uh, but Chris is is a, an above average. I don't want to call, quite call him great in the vein of a of a Benoit, um, but he's above average. And Shane, I think we Shane is probably if you were to, you know, in a video game where you have all your sliders to uh, for the strengths of a character, Shane would probably be straight sevens all across the board. There's nothing he does particularly great, but there's certainly nothing he does poorly. Um, and he could carry the feud on the stick, and Chris could carry the feud in the ring. And I, you know, hopefully we get this. Hopefully those two get it straightened out, and we can get this in three, four months once the feud that's now developed that we'll talk about at the end of the show, and probably for the bulk of it, uh, once that settles down. Anyway, we get an update. Flyboy and Johnny were sent to a medical facility. Thanks, Joey. And up next is a televised execution featuring my doppelganger, Judge Jeff Jones. Let's have a listen. So anyway, uh, Amish Roadkill and Chris Chetty brush our TV screens before we're interrupted by the judge. Like I said, that's my gimmick. Christ, Sid is over. And things go as you'd expect. Sid's hit a beautiful, Sid hits a beautiful one-handed chokeslam on Chetty. Chetty's made to bump big guys, I swear. And Sid puts a roadkill through a table. That looked great, too. I cannot underestimate how hot this Detroit crowd was for Sid. 
This really is the perfect version of the 911 gimmick. The segment goes on forever, but to me that works because who backstage is going to stop Sid? Bob, call back to last month a little bit here. Um, the, the gentleman uh, talked a little bit about Sid in ECW, but he just made that uh, surprise appearance at the pay-per-view. Now we see that he's sticking around at least through the month of February and probably into March. Um, there hasn't been much in the sheets about Sid uh, becoming discontent yet, which we can certainly expect based on his history. But if Sid sticks around for even, let's say, another 90 days through the, through the March pay-per-view, what does this do for ECW? Well, if he continues to go through and demolish everybody, it might hurt them. Uh, obviously, ECW is the third national brand, if you want to call national at this point. But, I mean, Sid is a huge star. And I think it's really important that one of your guys is able to beat him. Sure. Uh, and then and you make your own star. And I believe it was in late 98 or so that uh, Paul Heyman had wanted – to been, bring in a guy like Vader to um, feud with the Taz or whatever, have him lose out to Taz. I know a couple of years ago prior to that, it was like Dan Severn uh, wanted to come in. So you have a guy like Sid who's a huge national star. Everybody knows Sid Vicious, whether he's the singer or the wrestler. <laughs> but in this case, the wrestler. And immediately when I'm seeing this on television, in my mind, I feel like this is a slow build to a Sid-Taz match where Taz is able to kind of beat the Goliath to his David. And I would be in, in, kind of inclined to see that visually be weird because compared to Sid, Taz is a dwarf. Taz is a dwarf to a guy like Bam Bam Bigelow for the most mm -hmm. part. But it would be interesting. I think the fans would be able to buy into it. The You know, Taz is – a badass who doesn't back down from a guy like Sid and, and Sid can maybe cost himself the match somehow. And in ECW, there's no rules, so he could pretty much do anything he had to do to win it. Right. But, uh, you know, Sid being in ECW for an extended period of time, there's only so long you can do the choke slam and powerbomb spot before it kind of maybe dwindles, like it did with 911. That lasted for probably close to a year or so, if not a little bit more, before that kind of died out. Uh, but, I mean, I, I, I don't see Sid uh, losing to anybody in ECW. I don't know if there's really anybody on that level to justify it. It's an interesting spot, isn't it? Because Sid has been a multiple time um, WWF champion. He's main evented multiple WrestleManias. Uh, he ran through WCW. He's one of the guys that ECW, I mean, it's a coup that they have him, even if it's temporary. I'm, I can't believe I mean, Obviously, it's sensitive because of the Arn Anderson history mm -hmm. and things like that. But you just don't see guys like Sid not get scooped up by one of the two major companies these days. And the Sheets have talked about it, and it's completely because of the Arn Anderson, the heat Sid and Arn have with each other, and then all the support Arn obviously has in, in WCW, even though he's not an active wrestler anymore. But I think it's inevitable that eventually somebody calls Vince or, or, or you know, somebody, Bischoff, Calls Sid and offers him a, a high six-figure, low seven-figure contract. There's no way Sid's making anything close to that in ECW. If I'm ECW, I'm really careful with this. And I don't know that I even put Sid near the main event picture until I have a firm commitment from him, even if it's a 90-day uh, contract where I know I've got Sid for X amount of shots and you can build him 
against somebody. I don't know how I feel about him versus Taz. Taz is the type of guy who needs someone to sell for him and who needs someone who can take those crazy suplexes. I don't right. see Sid taking a suplex. I don't see Sid selling for Taz. Um, it's an interesting concept, but I think Styles make fights, and I don't know if Sid can flourish with somebody who also needs to be the the strong man in a match. I, I know this, this is going to get ridiculous with the praise we give for this guy, but if we're going to give somebody the rub against Sid, I might have him do it against somebody like an, an RVD, um, someone who can bump for Sid and who can take that offense and maybe get a, a fluke victory or maybe has somebody come in and have Sabu help him help beat him or something. I don't know. I don't even know if I would do that. I might just have Sid keep doing this while it still pops. And when the, when the pops start dwindling, then you can reevaluate. Anyway, it's going to be really interesting. I don't know if Sid's going to be here in six months, but I'm really interested to see what happens over the next few weeks to, to three months. Anyway, uh, back to the show. Living Dangerously is March 21st, uh, but spoiler alert, by the end of the month, only one match is officially announced. Lance Storm is out, and Joey criticizes using uh, Lance using Tammy Lynn Bitch to get over with the crowd. That's funny. Um, Lance says he doesn't need a get-over match, and uh, Fritz von Erich stirs in his grave. Spike comes out, uh, and they have a good match, actually. It's a good short four- or five-minute match, longest match uh, Spike's probably been involved in in a little while. Uh, Lance ultimately wins uh, with a Tiger Bomb. And it turns out the Dudleys were bribed to entice the public enemy back to ECW. But here we go. Who done it? Dudley's mystery caper is underway. Hype package for the next New York Super Show. And just incredible hypes himself and reminds us how many improbable wins he'd achieved. How'd you get those W's, Justin? And Bobby, you ready for some combat finally? I'm absolutely ready. Light month for wrestling, but we're going to get them in when we can. Super crazy versus Yoshihiro Tajiri. Each man has one win. Joey hypes this is a rubber match. I don't think he knows what that means based on the rest of the month. And it's at this point I'll remind the listener that calling matches is not my specialty. But here we go. Tajiri glances with a spin kick, single leg takedown, and Super Crazy gets a grapevine into a headlock, wrist lock, kip up, arm drag, kip up, double leg takedown, kip up, rope break, and applause. And that's the first 20 seconds. Lock up and Crazy works the arm before Tajiri reverses and shoots Super Crazy out to the floor. Deep arm drag and twist into an arm bar by Tajiri. Drop kick to the knee and Tajiri is in charge early. Mercifully, they've slowed down a little bit. Crazy gets the advantage with a deep single-leg crab, which looks like it hurts like hell. Good work there. Crazy works the knee, and Joey wisely reminds us that that will eliminate Tajiri's striking game. Good stuff, Joey. Another surfboard, or a surfboard, and this one, again, looks like it hurts like hell. Joey explains the biomechanics of the hole. Joey is on fire in this match. Good job. Impressive flippy sequence. That's the best I can do. Sees another round of applause. Tajiri launches Crazy onto the floor and hits a lovely Osaya moonsault. And then he just kicks crazy in the head, naturally, which segs into the most painful four-second hold in wrestling, the tarantula. Crazy gains the advantage, plants to Jerry with a fireman's carry, and hits a moonsault for two. Tiger Bomb uh, gets crazy at two. A second attempt sees to Jerry counter into a DDT for two. A German suplex gets to Jerry at two, and to Jerry brings it home after a Huracan Rana. Bob, uh, you're an ECW guy through and through. You see all the fan cam shows, and I know you've got a bit of a tape collection over there. So I'll defer to you. How does this stack up against the rest of the matches they've had so far, especially against the pay-per-view match, which most of us have seen? Sure. Uh, I just I don't want to sound like a party pooper or anything of that nature, but you know, having watched uh, previous months' television and then also here in February, 
we've seen these guys on television wrestle about five or six times. So by the end of February, you know, they've been on hardcore TV almost every other month or every other week. Yeah. Uh, wrestling each other. Yep. And there's no question that these guys are fabulous in the ring against each other. It's, it's refreshing. It's, it's really good wrestling. Um, but when you are watching the matches and it gets to a point where it's kind of similar to me for like when I were, if I were to watch Sting versus Ric Flair, you're starting kind of picking up a pattern of what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And when you kind of realize that pattern, it kind of starts to diminish the, I guess, maybe the greatness of the wrestling. I don't know if, if I, I don't, again, I don't want to diminish it because it is, it's good wrestling and it's, it's very entertaining and the time watching it flies by. Um, but I mean, and I think they show a fan cam match uh, by the end of the month, but they, they certainly do bigger things for the TV tapings compared to fan cam fan cam. They'll do like a four, four to six minute match, keep it pretty light and simple. And then they go home. Yep. But uh, you know, here you can tell that there's a sense of urgency that they're really trying to go for it. And it's not like most man, like most views where you know who's going to win. Here it's a toss-up. I mean, Tajiri with his lightning quick kicks and crazy kind of, you know, being all the, the high flyer of the two, I guess you can say. So it's a, it's a good balance. When I see it on the lineup to, to have it to watch it, I'm not dreading it, but mm-hmm. I just I know what I'm going to be getting. And that's not, that's not to say it's a bad thing, but – it wouldn't hurt if they were to not literally do the same spots in every single match. I, I think it speaks to, yeah, I agree. And as the month progresses and we see these guys uh, at least two, maybe even three more times, my goodness. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll let you know as we go through the notes here. It's a lot. They do mix it up a little bit. There's a, there's a match later in the month in Queens where there's a little bit more on the outside and it becomes a little more ECW-ish. Um, and they do try to mix it up. I think this speaks to how little in-ring product ECW has right now. And that seems blasphemous to say when you've got, got guys like RVD and Jerry Lynn and Lance Storm. And, um, uh, but maybe the fact that I can't think of more than three or four um, speaks to how I would like to see these guys matched up against other people as right. well on TV. And then you can have it on the house show. Loop. I mean, it's been time in memoriam for a, for a hundred years. Um, that guys just wrestle every night on house shows for six months. That's fine. If I go to an ECW house show, bless me if they ever come out West. Um, and I see these two um, on the marquee, gosh, I'm there. Here's my ticket. You know, how fast can I get there? But I don't want to turn on hardcore TV every single week and see the same match because it just, at a certain point, I don't care who wins this feud. And I don't care if these guys are only wrestling each other, I need something more to sink my teeth in with these two. I would separate them for a little while, have them kind of go there in ways, maybe come back once they're both seasoned and up the card. And maybe you can have this as a TV title match or something in six months. Um, that that might be what I'd like to see, but we'll give them time. I mean, it's only been a couple of months and we know Paulie really likes to get guys established before he sets them free or before Bischoff scoops them up. Um, so fingers crossed. I agree with you though, a little bit too much uh, uh, overall. Back from break, and we recap the Dudleys battering public enemy. But holy shit, it's new Jack. We cut to Joey before we can see Jack do anything. And Joey tells us the, Dudley attack, the Dudleys attack new Jack, who also has a bounty on his head. The Dudleys mystery caper continues. With five minutes left in the show, we get Taz defending his ECW heavyweight title against El Diablo, 
who Joey says is one of the hottest indie wrestlers in the game. This is a suplex exposition after requisite shit talking. And with three minutes left in the show, Mr. Diablo taps to the Kata Hajime. Taz does, Taz does not work by the hour. Uh, Taz challenges any champion in WWF or WCW. The crowd wants Sabu, and the crowd gets what it wants as Taboo and as Taboo. There we go. Sabu and Taz uh, have a pier six as the show closes. I thought I was going to make it at least a half an hour before one of those. Um, Bob, again, a lot of storyline development here this month. They've really hit the reset button, it feels like, after January. But do we want more Taz versus Sabu? This, this to me, feels a little bit like the ECW spin cycle. Sure. Uh, I mean, I thought this was a productive week. Um, sure, yes. it was ang angle-heavy, but I, I did think it was productive, especially with the Douglas and Candido segment, even though, as we know, that will kind of mean nothing. But uh, even Storm and Spike, it was, it was good, clean uh, rustling there. Uh, I don't mind. I don't mind Taz and Sabu. Uh, I mean, sure they've been feuding at, for three years at this point, but it's something that it's. I guess it's it's similar to Hogan Flair in WCW. It's something that ECW can rely on to get fans to want to see it. Obviously, Taz against Sabu is going to be significantly better in ring because they have less restrictions and they're better in ring performers. I would say, um, and I think right now Sabu, maybe aside from a guy like Douglas is or maybe even van damme is the best challenger for taz since he just won the championship um yeah, this is uh, taz's first reign and i mean the, sabu is his biggest rival mm -hmm. it kind of incorporates that part of it so i think there's a level of interest you know the sabu wants to take out his biggest rival take the gold from him uh, i'm not i'm not totally against i can see what you're saying though it's like rehashing stuff too much and i think we'd be in, in kind of being um a hypocrite here, or uh, you know, just kind of going against what I've just said. With uh, no, not, not, a, not in wrestling, no hypocrites in wrestling. No, never. Oh, I'm going to retire. I'll be back in three days. But uh, yeah, so like, this is an example where it's it's. I'm not I'm not against it. I I would I would not not tune tune in to a Sabu Taz title match. That's what I'm saying. I I, th I think that's an excellent point, um, and I think every promotion has these go-to feuds that they can they can come back to um the one that this is almost dcw's um flare dusty in a, in a in a way two guys who are stalwarts to the promotion you don't think of ecw and not think of taz or sabu or to put it another way you don't think of taz or sabu and think of a different promotion other than ecw unless you're a really hardcore like fmw fan or something but that's not me um and so but cynically i have to think that maybe just maybe there's been a lot of reports in the last couple of months about how unhappy Sabu might be, and he's not alone. We've seen promotions hotshot main event programs to appease unhappy stars, um, hotshot belts, hotshot main event pushes, switch gears. Maybe that's Paul's angle here just a little bit. You know, they have the Sabu-Taz feud always kind of simmering on the back burner, and they can pounce on it whenever, and it makes storyline sense. Am I just being a cynical wrestling fan uh, to think that maybe this is also Paul's way of saying, oh, no, here's Sabu. I really do value you. Here's a main event paycheck, maybe, and at least main event exposure. You know, we, we really do want you here. Because Taz and uh, – I'm sorry, Sabu and Paul have always kind of been topsy-turvy. No, I think you're right. I think okay. you're absolutely right. I think if – Sabu could be going up to him and being like, I got an offer from WCW similar to – you know, a guy like Sandman or whatever, and like, I'm going to go. I, I'm tired of doing this 
I'm the guy in the background for RVD to kind of poke fun at me, and I haven't done it. I haven't really been able to do anything about it recently. I'm about to go. And then him, like, no, 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 Sabu, no, no, no. I have you lined up title match, Taz. I, I might even put it on you. I don't know. Like, well, you got to stick with me, man. You can trust me. That's Heyman's goat. That's that's what Heyman is. He's been able to keep people there as checks are bouncing just on the mere dream and hope that he's going to make me into a star. So I, I think that's exactly what he's doing. Sure, sure. Bob, take a sip of coffee here because we're going to blitz through the relatively uh, less impactful November 13 Hardcore TV. We open with ECW fan cam of Sid. I think you meant, I think you meant February 13th, not November. Oh, I'm thinking, uh, I'm still thinking November to remember. Gosh, that show just won't and won't exit my brain. Yes, February, <laughs> of course. Where was I? Anyway, that's why you're here, Bob. <laughs> open with ECW fan cam of Sid, and he's still over. And Sid yeah. easily slams the one-man gang, which is not uh, not a small feat. He takes out Rod, or is it Ron Price? Sid then murders Skull Von Crush. This is how you hype a superstar, Paul. Well done. And we do confirm the main event of Living Dangerously will be Taz versus Sabu. Mm-hmm. Um, RVD out to a hero's welcome. We're still in Detroit to take on Ulf Herman for the TV title. And the 98 Wrestler of the Year, Uncrowned, wins a decent little title match that we see bits and pieces of. Um, Paul interviews Spike, who comes off as shockingly normal in this short promo. Uh, I th- I'd like to see more of this Spike. Interesting. Smart guy. Um, and Joey gives us an update on the Dudley's mystery caper. Here we go. Stephen Prazak asks Joel Gertner, who paid the Dudley's to take out Public Enemy and New Jack. Joel says the answer is obvious, but then identifies the person only as a benefactor. Bob, just real quick here. At this point, did you have any freaking clue who this benefactor was going to be? Absolutely not. Boy, neither did I. I couldn't figure it out for the life of me. Um, we get fan cam footage of uh, Spike versus Big Dick, and it ends as it usually does. And then, as usual, the Dudleys eviscerate Spike post-match. And then, as usual, New, get, New Jack gets his pound of flesh on Bubba and Devon. And then Joel Gertner gets his with a skateboard. Okay, follow me here. The entire place is surrounded by a balcony. Joel Gertner takes a nap on a table, uh, which allows New Jack to scale the balcony that surrounds the ring, which is set back from the ring, and jump off that balcony and splash Joel Gertner through the table. Everything had to go right there, and it did, and it looked great. Bless you, New Jack, for putting your body on the line for our morbid entertainment and curiosity. But, of course, the Dudleys gained the advantage, and the footage cuts back to Joey. Here we go. The former NWA World Heavyweight Champion Tommy Rich leads his championship stable of upstanding Italian-Americans to the ring. And it's Guido versus Antifaz Del Norte. Bob, do you know anything about Antifaz Del Norte? This is my first real experience with him. Other than, you know, I guess it's the ECW is my first real experience with Antifaz. No, yeah, same with me. Uh, the only, my only exposure to him is, uh, I, I believe, a couple of fan cam appearances aside from television. I, have, I haven't seen anything aside from this. Yeah, good wrestler. Yeah. Uh, we're promised Del Norte is a high flyer, and he is. Uh, and Joey is on his game again. Good month for him, describing how the ground wrestler Guido versus Del Norte's high-flying style should make for an interesting matchup. And I agree. Guido works that heel ground style, and boy, does he. The match breaks down after the upstanding Italians attack Del Norte. I didn't see what Del Norte did to provoke the Italians, but they must have done something. Anyway, uh, Nova rescues Del Norte, and this has turned into a tag match with Tracy Smothers as the fourth. But after only 30 seconds... Del Norte gets the three on Guido. That was a fun match. I'd like to see more of these uh, these folks involved with one another. 
And then we close with that fan can footage of uh, Super Crazy versus Tajiri. ECW is running a packed house in North Carolina. JCP is truly dead. These two have another good match that wasn't that different from their prior matches. There it was in my notes, and Super Crazy wins this round. Anything about the February 13th hardcore uh, TV taping, Bob, that caught your eye? Well, no, just as you noted with Super Crazy and Tajiri, I thought it was a little bit better than last week's um, match, but not by much. I mean, it was, it, again, it's the same type of uh, sequences that they do. I do want to know, I think Del Norte needs to get some promotion behind him because it seems like all the focus has been with Crazy and Tajiri. And I'll mm -hmm. tell you, when I seen Del Norte against Guido here, I was thinking to myself, put this guy with Crazy and Tajiri, do some three ways with these guys or something. And you're gonna light you're gonna light the place up. I mean, he was diving to the floor. He was doing really well, and you can you can incorporate uh, Guido in there too. I mean, that's that's a foursome. Without, I'm not even getting to like Jerry Lynn and and Chetty and all these guys. I mean, you're right there they are. That's all the guys I couldn't think of earlier. Exactly. Yeah, we got we're six right. Deep. Yeah, like there is extreme depth where you can just go on your house show circuits instead of getting this like you, like we've been saying a couple times now, getting the same matches over and over. If one month you do Jerry Lynn against you know, Guido, and then you come back and you Lynn against Crazy and then Lynn against, you know, Norte or Del Norte. It's going to be, one, refreshing, and two, I mean, these guys are going to put on great matches instead of getting the same ones over and over again. The ECW has incredible depth, and it might be an example of them not utilizing it correctly and they're focusing on just two or three guys, and you can just ex you could expand your star power by just, just – you know, blitzing these guys in every now and then to remind fans like, oh, Chetty, Chetty is good. Like he can do stuff. You can slowly build them up instead of just being like, we'll give you crazy and Tajiri four out of five weeks. You and know, you that, don't, that's yeah. Something I do. And you don't need personality from every one of those guys. You only really need one guy who's involved in a match. And that can be a manager or one of the wrestlers or sometimes even the referee or the ring. I mean, you just need some personality injected into a match at some point to carry feuds and to carry programs. There's enough going on here with those six or seven guys. Chetty has really improved. We're going to talk about a Guido and Chetty match later on in the month. Um, and um, there's enough going on there. And Guido has the FBI and this Guido Big South thing seems to work really well. Um, there's enough there to where I think you can have more than just good wrestling too. And ECW is a really good place for these guys to develop their characters if they're going to have them and to develop more than this. And then you have guys like Antifaz, and I don't know anything about this guy. I don't know if he can speak the language or not. But fortunately for him in ECW and in WCW, really, that's not really a condition precedent to success. It may be a condition precedent to winning the world title, but certainly you're going to get TV time if you're not a great talker. And one of those two promotions, I don't want any of these guys going anywhere near Vince McMahon's office. Forget that. But we have a lot of good wrestlers here, and I think if Paul can just kind of reshuffle the deck a little bit, maybe it's time for a little bit of a youth movement, and we can have cards where we have three, four, five just, you know, good wrestlers featured every month to boost up the undercard because we know that the top two matches are typically going to be a Dudley's Tag Team Schmaz and a Taz or Shane or Tommy Dreamer Schmaz, and balance that out with some good wrestling, and you've got a nice little card there. Absolutely. Um. Before we go into the hardcore TV from February the 20th, which really is one of the most impactful hardcore TVs uh, as far as storyline development that's taken place in quite some time, let's hear what the Dudleys have to think about Public Enemy. Public Enemy has sold everybody in New York City out. 
Public Enemy took the easy way out. They finally realized that they don't need to be in this promotion anymore because they couldn't hack it. They weren't hardcore enough. They weren't extreme enough. Rocco Rock was too old and Johnny Grunge was too high and too fat. They didn't have the guts to get in this ring tonight and prove to themselves and maybe even prove to you people just who the best tag team in ECW is. So to February 20th, um, and we're in Queens. We open with Steve Carino. Yes, Steve Carino versus Cronus. Fortunately, that's quickly interrupted by the judge. Carino used a powerbomb and Sid's out to protect his spot. Goddamn right. Chokeslam to the floor and we'll be scraping Carino off the floor. Cronus eats a powerbomb. And Joey plays up Sid's return to New York City and reminds us that the last time Sid was here, he beat HBK for the WWF title. That's true. Sid scrapes Carino's carcass off the floor and power bombs the carcass and then gives the carcass another power bomb. Joey with the line of the night. Somebody call Carino's parents. He is not coming home. And a power bomb to Cronus hits the open. And we open with Taz in the ring. And as usual, he threatens to choke out any challenger. Now, Joey says public enemy have run out of ECW. So we're getting the update here. And tonight, Joel Gertner will reveal... The mystery benefactor. I can't wait. Shane Douglas also has retirement rumors swirling. We'll catch up on those too. Notable that ECW this entire uh, month, especially this episode, had Chirons running the entire thing. It looked more like CNN at times than it did a wrestling show, but there we go. But now it's time for the Big Dawn. Oh, shit. The Dawn and Tracy Smothers aren't here. They're out on a scouting mission? Oh, I don't like this. So it's Guido out with Big Sal. Bob Light month between bells, so let's stop here and ch check out Guido versus Chetty. Short match, but a good one. We're in New York, so we get immediate you fat fuck chance. I think they're directed at Sal, but I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> thanks for popping at that. Uh, <laughs> That's funny. Ground attacking sees Guido get the advantage with an arm bar. Chetty shows off his grappling, but Guido hits a low blow because he's a heel. Sal then trips Chetty because he's a heel. Chetty gains the advantage as they grapple outside. And a spin kick floors Guido for two. A cross body nets Chetty a two. Um, Guido reverses the top rope nothing into a powerbomb for two. And we start to pick up here pretty good. Sal crushes Chetty into the post because, well, you get it. Chetty's up fast, though, and he misses a springboard nothing. 50-50 spot sees Chetty prevail with a neckbreaker. Chetty's all over the place, and he needs to slow down. But he's pretty good. He's definitely improved. He manages to hit a sloppy sidekick followed by a power slam for two. Chetty takes advantage of a comical heel incompetence spot between Sal and Guido. Good stuff. And manages a double springboard moonsault just barely for the three. Good little match there, Bob. Something different for our audience. Um, what do you think? Chetty needs to slow down a little bit, but he's certainly improved since, uh, since we first saw him on the scene. Uh, yeah, I would say he drastically improved. He needs better pacing. I think he gets a little, maybe a little bit too excited, too amped up. Uh, I would him. Sorry, cut out there for a second. Please continue. 
No, go ahead. You can whatever you were saying. I was just thinking. I, I'm. I'd like to see him with somebody like a, a an in-ring veteran, like a. I, I don't know what the what they do on the house shows. Um, but putting him with Jerry, I'd put him with Jerry Lynn. I'd put him with Lance Storm. I'd put him with a lot of these guys who can really teach him the pace and to slow down. That's how they did what they did with Rob Van Dam. I remember watching RVD back in right when he first came in and think, gosh, this guy's got all the tools, but he really needs to slow down. And he has, and he's really kind of figured it out. I'd like to see Chetty paired with guys and Guido too, paired with veterans instead of having two young guys in the ring trying to learn on the fly. Yeah. Uh, being a guy that watches a bunch of fan cams over the years, Chetty, I recall having matches with Shane Douglas uh, when Douglas was the television champion. I think it was around the summer. I think it was around um, – what was the pay-per-view there when, with Raven leaving? Mm-hmm. Russell Palooza. So around that time, uh, he was having some matches with Douglas, and Douglas really made him look probably at the time better than what he was. And kind of going with what you're saying, if, if he's working with a guy like Lynn or even like a guy like Justin Credible, I mean, Credible's not the greatest in-ring guy, but he knows pacing. He knows how to slow things down. Mm-hmm. It's going to be it's going to be very beneficial for him. Uh, this, but back to this match with Guido, I, I enjoyed it. Um, and, and sure, Chet, Chetty kind of struggles with you know pacing, but his offense is good. It's it's he's got some high flying. He's capable of doing some mat stuff. He's a well rounded wrestler which probably goes into the training that he's got from the ecw world champion and and maybe an an effort to kind of maybe start that youth movement that we've noted here this has to be one of one of if not the biggest televised wins for chetty's career oh yeah i think i don't want yeah i don't think we should understate that i mean being a guy like guido a former tag team champion he's been in really competitive matches he beats him here clean, right? I mean, I was not expecting Guido or uh, Chetty to win this, to be honest with you. I thought there would be some kind of interference, whatever, Guido wins. But I thought it was a great a great win for Chetty and maybe a slow build to uh, to something bigger for Chetty. And I don't want to spend too much time on Chetty, but kind of like back to when we had that talk with the five or six different guys that you know you can loop around on your house shows, I think Chetty could be a fabulous heel. He's got a look of just – he could make that smug heel, like I'm better than you, like just a like a prima donna kind of thing. And he would be that personality that that group would need because you got a bunch of luchadors or whichever. They're not going to have that, that personality part of it. But if you incorporate this arrogant, you know, high-flying heel and, and guy like Chris Chetty, I think you could kind of balance it all out and, and shed more light onto it. So, but for right now, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself of what they can do with Chetty. I, I'm in, I've always been interested in Chetty. When he's on, he's on. When he's off, he's way off. But here he was a, an example of him being on, and I, I enjoyed it. Every young artist, whether it's a musician or a painter or an author, I think what you just said there, if they have potential, but they're, they're kind of unpolished or they're not quite fully formed yet or the clay is still drying, when they're off, they're off, and when they're on, they're on. And this match, where there were a couple of times where it almost felt like it was going to burst at the seams. And I think even six months ago, um, with a guy like Chetty, um, it, it may have. Uh, but they, they held it together. Now, I'm going to go opposite from you here. Because I'm hosting this month, we get to talk about Guido. Uh, and I think that Guido is super underrated as a mat technician. If this guy was taller, I really think he'd be regarded as one of the best mat wrestlers in the U.S. What do you think? 
I think that's a fair statement. I mean, he, I'm not, I'm not a Matt wrestling guy. Like it's sure. very hard for me to remain interested in it, but with Guido's style of counters and stuff like that, I don't find myself ever bored. And he transitions very quickly to the style that I'm more accustomed to and maybe something more enjoyable. But no, I, I agree with you. I don't think he, this, the roster is so deep, I think, with in-ring guys that Guido may get a little bit uh, of the short end of the stick, kind of forgotten about. And he's just right there. I mean, he's, he could be one of the go-to guys if you, if you needed a solid match with a, with a young guy like Chetty. And he obviously proves it here in countless other times over the years. These months where we don't have a pay-per-view are, are a blessing, I think, because we get to talk about and slow down and, and, and hear about these guys and, and, and these matches that aren't necessarily going to be featured on, on pay-per-view or aren't necessarily you know, driving a major storyline. But I do like to use this opportunity to slow down and point out that there's more to ECW than Taz and Shane Douglas and RVD and Sabu. Some of these young guys, keep an eye out for them. But back to the main eventers. Oh, shit, it's the Dudleys. And they say Public Enemy took the easy way out. You would have heard part of this uh, audio um, just a little bit earlier. Bubba says, Rock, Rock, this is a great line. He says, Rock, Rock was too old and Johnny was too high and too fat. Seriously. Bubba recaps again how the Dudley split up the Eliminators, the Gangsters, Public Enemy, and says they stayed in ECW through thick and thin. This is really getting close to a face reaction and Bubba's not having any of that. <laughs> Right on cue, it's New Jack with a live mic. He says some things that would get us that little red E next to our name if we were to repeat them here, so take my word for it. New Jack says he didn't come alone, and no, it's not Spike. Holy shit, it's Mustafa. Let's listen to how this played out. swerve. Mustafa attacks New Jack. Initially, it appears the benefactor paid Mustafa to set up New Jack. That's what Joey goes, goes with. And what I like here, Bob, is that the bell comically rings like it's 1979 in Mid-Atlantic 
Like that's ever stopped anything or started anything in this company. Get rid of the bell. Right. Anyway, uh, Cronus has more heart than brains and tries to save New Jack. Spike, rinse and repeat. The Dudleys absolutely batter New Jack. And then it turns out Mustafa is the mystery benefactor. Okie dokie. Bob, Mustafa? I was not expecting that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't even know. I've been trying, I've been literally been thinking for days, probably even weeks now as to what I was expecting from this. And I don't know. I don't know where they could have gone to give to provide me a, a reasonable direction to go in. The revelation here of Mustafa being the benefactor to me sucked. I did not, I wasn't like, Oh my God. Yeah. it's I know. I just, if I feel it really feels like they had an idea, it fell through, and they're just like, "We'll go get Mustafa and somehow tie this all in together." It was you know hyped up for a couple weeks on television, and and maybe a rare example of an angle just falling flat. It fell flat for me. I have no interest in a Mustafa New Jack match or feud or whichever. I mean, we know what it's going to be. It's just going to be nothing but you know pizza cutters to the forehead and and staples or something. But. Um, yeah, no, this it fell flat completely for me. I did not care. And I thought it was it was interesting that the fans were chanting for Sid to come out at one point, and he didn't. Mm-hmm. I wonder what it would have looked like if Sid had came out for the save. I don't think Sid – Sid isn't, to me, he's not a face or a healer. Here. He just does whatever the hell he wants. And I think it's, it was a good idea not to send him out here to do any kind of shenanigans or add to it. But, uh, yeah, no, this – I'm still trying – I'm literally – I don't even know when I'll think of – a good guy to put in that place for instead of Mustafa. I think they backed themselves into a corner and there was just no way of getting out of it to provide a suitable revelation here. You know, typically when there's a storyline like this, there's something in the sheets um, as to what this might look like or, and it, and it could just be Polly playing off of the, the, the true backstage reporting reports that ECW is struggling financially and they themselves need a benefactor. But it it did not appear that they had planned this out. It did not appear that they had an end in mind. If anybody knows what this might have been, you know, let us know because like you, Bob, gosh, I was racking my brain for this. The Dudleys have had so many feuds and have shown so many people the door that it was hard for me to think, gosh, who might be siding with the Dudleys here? Because it seems like even when they feud with another heel group, the Dudleys are the ones that are the, the true heels. And I, I think this had to be something bigger, obviously. You don't play off a storyline where uh, one of your top acts, your top tag team, a team that's main evented multiple shows, and it's uh, really an anchor uh, act in this promotion you can't have them come out and start this Dudley's mystery caper storyline as I've called it and then not have an end in mind that's going to be satisfactory I mean I, this would it's kind of the equivalent as if like Doug Furness ended up being a mystery benefactor in the WW in a WWF storyline it's like a lower card tag team wrestler who hasn't been seen in a couple of years come coming back and I'm supposed to buy that this guy this guy is the one behind all of this, I mean, it's it's Mustafa. He's not even New Jack. I mean, he's he's less than New Jack, and all of a sudden we're supposed to believe that he 
I think what happened is exactly what you said. They had an idea. They needed to to get out of this public enemy nightmare that that they ended up getting themselves embroiled in. And it was just, how can we get out of it? The sheets were interesting because apparently New Jack was not too thrilled to have Mustafa back. There is still some very real heat between those two. Um, I don't know who this pops or what this pops. It's not going to pop a rating. It's not going to pop interest. I mean, hardcore ECW fans are going to enjoy a New Jack versus Mustafa bloodbath, but I don't know where this gets us. It was just kind of a wet fart, right? Yeah, but you know, the more we're talking about this, and this is going to drive me insane because I, like I said, I've been thinking about this way more than I have to, but something maybe just clicked in my head, but I just want to do a quick summary so I maybe understand what's going on here. Yeah, bring so it home. So the idea here is that the Dudley Boys had a benefactor to get rid of Public Enemy. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then that worked out. And then the benefactor also took out New Jack, which is be Mustafa. So what I'm thinking here, and, and we know that Public Enemy has a deal with the WWF. Maybe Paul Heyman should give a, get, pick up that phone and be like, guys, you guys did me a favor in 97. You're taking one of my teams again. WCW did it to me in 90, you know, 96, 95, 96 with Public Enemy. You guys are doing it now. We're doing this whole rehash thing anyway. Why don't I ask a favor for Jim Cornette to come in, be the benefactor? Oh. Oh, because, I love it. But here's so here's the thing. So Cornette can be like, I'm the benefactor, and I'm taking them out because I don't. They shouldn't be working for you, bingo, bingo hall losers. And I'll, you know, you do all that same bullshit, and then it ties in with New Jack because you can be like, New Jack, you left me, you left Smoky Mountain. I made you. You wouldn't be where you are without me. Mustafa's always appreciated me. He apologized. You never apologized. So then Mustafa Cornette's the mouthpiece for Mustafa. You know, that is something I could get behind. And I'm, like, literally getting angry at myself that it's taken me weeks to tie this into my head. But as we were just talking about it, so I appreciate you, Eric, for being the bounce-off here, for me to actually think about this. You tied it. Oh, Mustafa could be one of your top heels. Go right there with Cornette as the mouthpiece. I mean, that's something had, I would do. You had me until Mustafa could be a top heel. But – No, I, well, I'm saying – I'm not top heel. not a main event guy. Not, I don't want to say that. But <laughs> you could have Cornette I – mean, feed Mustafa to Sid – and have that environment, mm-hmm. like you're probably going to go pretty well with it. I, I misspoke. I'm getting too excited. Mustafa not is a top heel. Let's let's get that clarified. But he we could have, be a yeah. suitable act, a suitable act on the on the ECW card with Cornette, even if it's for a couple of months, even as his mouthpiece. And that way, it kind of all ties in and makes sense, and it has a, at least a long lasting angle to it. And there's ties in with Sid and Cornette, sure. and and everything. Gosh. Just probably impossible. I don't. I would suspect that maybe Jim Cornette, after the the nightmare that it took to get him affiliated with ECW before, might want nothing to do with these people. But right, in, with the history in Smoky Mountain, with some of those, I mean, if you haven't seen the promos that New Jack used to cut, essentially on white people in Smoky Mountain. Go back and take a look at those if you can get your hands on those tapes, man. That's it's, good, it's incredible stuff. stuff. Incredible stuff. Their their feud with Rock and Roll Express carried that company for most of '94, leading into '95. It was it was really good stuff. And as uh, as we have to snap back into reality here, 
never shall this play out, but give yeah. this boy Bob calling the book right now. <laughs> so we're going to shift gears here and have less fun. At least I did. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Shane's out with a relatively covered up and somber Francine. Apparently she's a face two now. The crowd chants, please don't go. And Francine, it has to be said, is ugly crying here. Yeah. Shane has his boots. He sounds like a face. Maybe he is retiring. Let's find out. Oh, it's just incredible. Yeah, of course. Well, how I didn't see this coming 15,000 miles away, I don't know. Um, Justin, at this point, takes the opportunity to remind us how many ECW staples he's taken out and says Shane's a wise man for walking away. Fair enough. That's a good, that's a good angle to take. Good promo here. Even if Justin's got go away heat with me, uh, good angle. But if that's not enough, Lance Storm crashes the party. Lance says he's more than just incredible. He's the guy who can deal it all, do it all since he's from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Lance says he's the next franchise. Shane's had enough with these party crashers. And he says the man to carry his boots was Tommy Dreamer? I don't know. Where's this going? Let's take a listen. You guys are both making big waves here in ECW, but you ain't a franchise, and you ain't a franchise. The guy I'm talking about that's going to carry on this revolution is Tommy Dreamer. So there's a skirmish, and holy shit, Fran Francine takes an unprotected Singapore cane to the face. Yes, let me say that again. Francine takes an unprotected Singapore cane to the face. Tommy to the rescue, but he takes the caning himself. Thank you, sir. May I have another? Francine is busted open. Francine takes a boot from Just Incredible who's being, uh, while she's being held by Lance Storm. This is kind of ugly. Um, Bob, what about that whole thing? Well, I, I might have a quite, a, quite a few thoughts on this. Uh, Please, I, we're, we're going to park our car here and, and stay here a while. Yeah, good. I think, I think it does need to be addressed. So going into this, uh, I, I liked the feel of it. I mean, Francine... There was probably real emotion to it. I just the crying was kind of maybe over the top for me, but I'm sure she was legitimately emotional about it. Um, I honestly thought at one point that Douglas would be the conniving heel that he has always been, 
was going to turn on Dreamer and we would have like a new triple threat here with Douglas, Credible, and Storm. And especially if the Candido thing is falling apart, you know, you reverse track and you go with this kind of similar to the Sabu Taz thing, you know, Douglas and Dreamer, they've been hip, you know, by the hip for years now in terms of feuding. So I thought maybe that's where we were going to go. But luckily we didn't. I, I would prefer not to. So the kendo stick shot to Francine. There's not many things in ECW that will make me cringe. I'm I'm pretty you know desensitized to it. Sure. But Francine, I mean, it's not a worked shot. She got drilled in the face, full swing by just incredible. Incredible. She she needs to get for taking that. I, whether I don't even know if maybe it was accidental, maybe it wasn't supposed to happen like that or whatever. But she she's she's a trooper. She would be on my team any day of the week if she's taking stuff like that. I know she has done some crazy stuff in '95 with the pit bulls and stuff like that. But this was the emotion attached to it. I was digging the whole thing and the idea of Storm Incredible seemingly as a unit. I am in favor of. I think it's very important that Storm Incredible get the better of Douglas and Dreamer, especially if Douglas is to leave, whether it's retirement or going elsewhere, as it's been rumored, uh, that they need to go over. Douglas needs to take the fall because you want to build up more heels for your ECW world champion Taz. I think Storm Incredible could be guys. I know that you had said that Justin Incredible has go away heat for you. I am not at that point. I, I like Justin Incredible in the sense of I want to see him get beaten up. His catchphrase is awful. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's incredibly corny, but he's a good worker. He he's, he does what he needs to do. He gets heat on himself, dating back to the grandfather comment uh, towards Dreamer in 98. So he knows how to do all that stuff. I thought it was a very effective way to end this episode. And, you know, it makes up for the Mustafa, uh, you know, wet fart, so to speak. But, uh, I, I enjoyed the entire segment for the most part, and uh, I'm intrigued to see kind of what Douglas and Dreamer do to combat Storm Incredible moving forward. I, I'm totally in favor of focus, especially on Storm. I would put Storm as the the upper guy, Incredible being the, the number two here. Um, but I I personally enjoyed it. I don't know, I don't know what you thought about it. I, I'm of two minds. From a storyline and from a heat gathering perspective, yeah, uh, the crowd was, you'll hear it in the clip, the crowd was out for blood Yeah, after this segment against Justin and Lance. And they haven't held back, ECW has not held back in getting heat on Justin. Now he has go away heat with me because I think he's not a very good promo and I think he's, I don't know that he's, I think they're trying to put He's in a position, this sounds kind of convoluted, but he's in a position where he might be after a push before a successful push has ever really occurred, as I as I see it. They kind of brought him back and they hot-shotted him uh, up into this, you know, Slayer of Legends type, uh, type feud. They put him over Sasuke. They put him over Sandman on Sandman's way out. I mean, this guy becomes incredible as the guy that puts, that puts guys' shoulders to the mat when they're on the way out. That's fine. But I think if you're going to keep a guy in that heat position, then this this worked uh, from a storyline perspective. 
the thing about wrestling and the thing about fake fighting is that it needs to be fake it needs to be protected at least it needs to be you know somewhat safe and i understand if in the confines of a match especially a hardcore match especially in ecw if you have chair shots that go awry or if you have spots that go awry i mean we've seen it time and time again where stuff's a little bit too stiff that blade goes a little bit too deep yada 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 I still can't quite come to terms with being okay with a 110-pound female valet, untrained wrestler, taking an unprotected kendo shot to the face. That, to me, doesn't just tiptoe up to the line of what I think should be common decency. I think it jumps right over it. I'm certain that's exactly what ECW wants to do. Don't get me wrong. They did everything here, and it was calculated. And even if she wasn't supposed to take that shot to the face as she did, they then put the boots to her. So either way, Francine was going to get her ass kicked in this in this segment. So the kendo shot might have been accidental, but then she got the boots put to her. We've For years, it feels like, since I've been on this podcast, we've been talking about how ECW either needs to grow in order to succeed or it needs to just settle into what it is and and flourish within that limited scope and the thing that we've talked about the most has been the the male on female violence and you know violence in general and the language and everything but really really it is the male on female violence and when you see something like this it just to me seems like ecw is has made that decision to kind of settle into what it is to be that alternative third brand and never shall it be a major competitive national promotion because there is male and female violence especially in wwf that we've seen from time to time but this was different and this was awful and it was a real shot to a real person by a real kendo stick and like go back and watch it i think like i said storyline wise great Tons of heat, executed to perfection. Everybody and their brother wants to see Justin get the shit kicked out of him now, even if they didn't before. And Lance is going to get some of that too by association. Mm-hmm. But boy, I I might not have done the kendo shot stick if that was or the kendo stick shot, even if that was something that they that went awry. I wouldn't have even come near that spot. Yeah, no, I don't. I would never have. I would never have gone to her and been like, hey, do you want to take a wicked bad kendo stick shot to the face? No. I would never put – I don't even know if I'd put a man in that position, to be honest with you. But I certainly wouldn't put a female non-wrestler in that type of position. So, no. I mean, it is it is over the top. It is, pardon the pun, extreme to do that. But, again, for the, I'm all about the heat. If I – and. You know, the cornet thing, like I just said, I'm clearly, if I've got my Booker hat on, I'm all about heat. What's going to make me the most money? But that that might be something where I would feel really conflicted about, like, hey, Bob, you can make a couple million or, you know, maybe a couple hundred thousand in ECW's case if we were to do this. But it's just like, do I really want her to get smacked in the face and, like, bleed legitimately from her face? Like, even if she's like, yeah, yeah, I can totally do it. It's just, well, until you do it. Then what's going to happen? Like after the fact, are you going to be like, oh my God, my teeth are broken? Like, you know, that's multiple layers here for, as we're saying, a fake sport. This is not real. This is like how, how far are you really going to go to want to, you know, develop heat? I mean, I, it's a tough. I, I see both sides of it. 
-hmm. personally as a fan i enjoyed it um i thought it was really effective and a, and a strong way to start off a new angle especially for credible and storm watch this and judge it for yourself and let us know how you feel but boy this one left a little bit of an uneasy feeling in my stomach even though i think ultimately the segment did what it was designed to do whatever that was so we wrap up the month with hardcore tv from february 27th and we're back in queens of course we are and we recap the dudley's mystery caper murder on the orient express this was not and we get to jerry versus super crazy again and this was another good match uh, amplified by a hot crowd and this was the one where they went out into the audience and did a little bit more of those ecw crowd brawling shenanigans and crazy wins again after a springboard springboard frog splash easy for me to say okay bob we have three super crazy to jerry matches to choose from we went over one in detail and i almost think that the one we detailed was probably the least was probably the worst of the three but it was the only one where we got full uh full coverage i believe what do you think uh, yeah, I agree with you. The first one, if we were to do star ratings or whichever, I had the first one at two and three quarters and then the next two at three stars. I've, I'm a bias towards the Queens crowd. I think the Queens crowd is one of the best ECW crowds, better than the ECW arena, just because I feel like the ECW arena tends to try to get themselves over and mm -hmm. the Queens crowd is more respondent of the actual stuff going on. But of the three, I would say this one was the best match. As you know, they did a few different things. Going into the crowd, some refreshing things. They didn't keep the same formula of matches, uh, moves that we had seen the previous two months and the previous two matches for this month. So maybe this is an example where they know that they're doing the same stuff and now they can't go to the same towns doing that same thing, so they have to incorporate different things into it. So if they continue to add different layers to the matches, then they're just going to get better and better in my mind. So it's uh, a it was a positive, you know, three matches from these two guys for the whole month. So it's Skull on Crush versus Sabu for the FTW title. And boy, Skull is awful. He'd be underneath on the Milwaukee, Oregon, Elks Lodge Friday night wrestling card. Um, and it's rare that Sabu is not the most dangerous worker in a match, but there we are. Um, Sabu puts Skull to bed and grabs the mic. He calls out, calls out Taz, and we have another Pier 6. Bob, what are your thoughts on Skull Von Crush? I'm just kidding. He's terrible. Joey offers <laughs> a commentary on uh, Justin's actions last week. Lance is out to announce his new manager. Oh, here we go. Okay. Joey calls him a blue-ribbon Canadian jerk. Lance says Tammy Lynn Bitch is no longer in ECW. And then it's pointed out that Don Callis, who uh, most of us probably best known recently as the Jackal, uh, he's watching from the balcony. Joey points out that Don's from Canada too, so what's going on here? Lance introduces his new manager who is Beulah? It's announced as Beulah. It sure looks like Beulah when she's walking through the curtain. Oh no, it's just Tammy Lynn Bitch dressed as Beulah. But we're calling her Beulah? I don't understand. Anyway, so Joey, oh Joey, says this. Yes, this. And this being Tammy acting like Beulah is in poor taste for ECW. That's what's in poor taste for ECW. Anyway, Joey <laughs> wonders if that quote virus, his words, Don Callis had something to do with this. And then Dreamer's out to attack Lance. Justin and his goons join the fray. And Dreamer again catches a canning before Shane can make the save. Francine Spears Jason. Watch that one for yourself. Shane throws up three fingers. 
And after a pause, long pause, dramatic pause, wrestling pause, he and Tommy embrace, and it looks like Shane and Tommy are pals now. The enemy of one's enemy is truly one's friend. Bob, Shane and Tommy aligned. It looks like we're headed to living dangerously uh, with uh, Shane and Tommy versus Lustin and uh, Justin and Lance. Uh, any part of that, Shane and Tommy, the match, what do you think? Unpack that. Okay, I'm all about um, proper continuation. I don't know how many times Douglas and Dreamer have uh, been buddies. I know, I believe it was what, 96 or so when Douglas returned that they were kind of friendly, I want to say, roughly around that time. Sounds about right. Yeah, or like 94, 94 for sure. I know that they were aligned and they were you know, tag partners and whatnot. Uh, and then Douglas, of course, turned on them. And throughout the years, Douglas has done some pretty reckless things to whether it be Dreamer or Beulah. Same thing with Francine. Now, I understand that the previous week what Francine happened. I can see the connection there. But as a, as a, as a writer or as, you know, if I'm booking these shows in wrestling terms, I think when – okay, you know what, let's make it real life. Eric, if you were to run over my girlfriend that I don't technically have, but if I had one and you ran her over with a car, Sure. Let's say I'm going to probably hate you. Okay. For a while, if not my entire life, not two years later. If I see your girlfriend, your girlfriend get ran over by a car and I run over and check up on her. Hey, are you okay? And then you're like, okay, hey man, remember when I ran over your girlfriend? Well, you checked up my mind. So like, can we forget that time that I ran over yours? Like we're cool now. Right. And no, that's not how life works. Of course, wrestling isn't life and it's not real, but. I don't like the idea of them being friends. I don't know. I just, it just kind of doesn't sit well with me. I feel like when someone turns on another guy multiple times throughout the same company's history, that the one guy that's getting turned on constantly would kind of remember those times and then, and then not do it. Um, as for the match, as I stated uh, earlier on here, you have to have Storm Incredible prevail. You can't have your heels do what they did and then falter, especially on pay-per-view. Uh, I don't think Douglas and Dreamer losing this, at least the first encounter, is going to hurt them at all. The fans love Dreamer. Douglas has been getting positive reactions for uh, his apparent face turn here. Um, and Storm Incredible just come across like hungry, younger wrestlers, although I don't know their ages. I don't know how drastically younger, but younger to the ECW viewer to kind of become what Douglas and Dreamer are, to become that upper echelon of the company. And the only way you can do that is if you have them beat them. And you don't want to wait too long. I'd rather do it early than too late, because if you do it early, you can still build them, you know, add to it. But if you do it too late, there's nothing to add to. Um, so, I mean, I... I'm invested into living dangerously for this match just to make sure that the right team goes over. The heat from the previous week has me interested. Again, though, Douglas and, and Dreamer hugging and bracing. I don't know. I just it, It'd be like Dreamer and Raven embracing to me. Like It, it wouldn't make story sense to me for them to, to suddenly be like, hey, man, let's go get them. I just... I wouldn't be very trusting of Douglas in this spot if I was Dreamer. If I'm a Tommy Dreamer fan, I'm shipping him a tape 
of Arn Anderson and Brian Pillman versus Sting and Ric Flair from Halloween Havoc 1995. And I'm saying, are you really want to get mixed up in this nonsense again? Call for your very existence. Get up on your hands and knees on your belly. Hook that bottom rope. Pull yourself the lifeline to Ric Flair. Pull yourself to that corner and make that tag. That's the only thing that will save you, Stinger. He's and up. Here we go. He's up. He made the tag. Ric Flair. Oh, my. What the hell? He hit Sting. I mean, I think, I think that what you said earlier about Shane turning heel and aligning himself with now what appears to be Lance and Justin, that has to be where this is going. I mean, it doesn't – unless people like Shane don't just become like face – like like cookie-cutter faces overnight. Mm-hmm. They just don't. Shane's kind of an arrogant dick, and he always has been. And he's always – the ECW's always tried to portray him as not just like a conniving heel, but like that call or that high school athlete who's just too cool for school. He's got the hot girlfriend. He's got a bunch of friends. He's, you know, the world champion, or he's won the state title, and he's just – He's just better than you, right? I mean, that's Shane Douglas, really. He's better than you. He knows it. You know it. And everybody wants to kick his ass. And every time he goes over, it's like, fuck, Shane won again? What, what's going on here? Right. You, you don't just have him become an about face, you know, baby face like Tommy Dreamer is. It's so weird because of the history and everything. I'm with you. If I'm Dreamer, storyline-wise, and we're in the weeds here, this doesn't make sense to me, and I'm uneasy by this. There's no way Tommy Dreamer's turning heel. I mean, that's just not going to happen. I mean, that'd be like Ricky Steamboat turning heel in, in 89. It's not happening. But I do think that if this doesn't lead to – if this just leads to Shane being a face aligned with Tommy and them going over uh, these two young upstarts uh, at the next pay-per-view, I think that's a missed opportunity there, and you really would have squandered the heat that you've built um, with these controversial, if not very effective, uh, storyline developments this month um i don't know i want to see where it goes and really that's how i try to watch wrestling is not you know hoping for an outcome or not just hoping that whatever happens makes sense or maybe that surprises me and there's something that i haven't thought about but the outcome like you've and i don't think this will happen because it's ecw and this so rarely happens where the faces just go over in a you know after a short clean program i don't think that's going to happen uh, but I am intrigued to see where this goes because it has to be going somewhere. Otherwise, yeah, they're just kind of forgetting the last three years. And Tommy Dreamer has to be the biggest idiot this side of Sting. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And the, I yeah. don't mean to cut you off either. But no, go ahead. About the continuation too, It like we, we, we see this. Yeah. It's kind of concerning that if Heyman doesn't see it, because he's very he's normally very good with continuation and building things and inserting different aspects of it. So part of me has to trust him that he knows the direction that he's taking this. But at the initial viewing of it, there's just levels of confusion. So hopefully coming into Living Dangerously and coming out of it, that it all ties in together and it's like, oh, there's that mastermind. Oh, that's what he was going for. And it all ties in together. Yeah, and, and that's where, you know, You've had some really good booking ideas here, um, but you know I don't think either of us would would pretend that we're as qualified for this job as as Paul E. So let's just no. put our faith in him and see where this goes. I hope it's going somewhere good though, because uh, you're gonna what you're gonna do is you're gonna take Shane and he does have a lot of heat right now as a, as a face or as that like tweener face, 
And you've got Tommy, who just is the most popular guy in the program, probably by and large. You know, he's not always going to be in the main event. He's not always going to win. He definitely is the guy who's going to take the three at the pay-per-view if the heels go over. But you have all this, you know, wonderfully built heat, and you've sacrificed poor Francine to the storyline gods, and hopefully they capitalize on it. I think they will. I really, really do, um, because they have four guys who know exactly what to do. It, in the ring and outside of it and on the stick. This is a really good pairing, I think, even if Justin's not my favorite. I'm excited to see it. The more that I even think about where this could go and the various programs and the things that can split off, because you can have a Tommy Lance program off of this, because Lance has Beulah now, so he's obviously trying to needle Tommy. There's a lot of angles to take here. Um, we'll wait and see. And normally, in the month before a pay-per-view for ECW, we'd preview the next month's show. But only one match technically is firm for that show, Taz versus Sabu, which we've discussed. And it sure looks like we'll have Shane and Tommy versus Justin and Lance, but I don't think that's been officially announced either. Um, and then everything else is kind of up in the air. I don't know. Um, and Lord knows that the sheets this month have been all over the place with all the comings and goings um, behind the scenes. So we're not even going to try to speculate here where this is going to go. We'll go home early and see how the card shakes out next uh, next month. So uh, Bob Calling, great performance, my friend. Always enjoyable to have you here. Thanks for helping me along here. This is not my strength, hosting, I mean. But um, you've earned your plug, sir, so please have them. Well, thanks for having me, having me uh, Eric. And don't sell yourself short. I think you did a, a great job as a host. Uh, for my plugs, uh, you can Twitter. You can get me at YoBobbyBoy89. And then I also have a podcast with my buddy Austin Skinner at Icopod, covering the WWF starting with the first draw. We're up to the 1994 Royal Rumble. We just got done recording it. So uh, we'll see how that plays out going to WrestleMania 10. And uh, also my website for written reviews. I actually wrote reviews for all of the hardcore TV. At some point in the next maybe year, I'll post them. I seem to have trouble actually posting material these days. But uh, over at WrestlingRecaps.com, you can check out thousands of uh, TV reviews, columns, articles, magazines. All that's, you know, fun stuff. So you can go check it out at wrestlingrecaps.com. Excellent. Excellent. Um, your content is fabulous. And Icopod might be my favorite podcast name that there is right now. So bless you, sir. That is not – I can't take credit for Icopod. That was Austin Skinner's idea. He was like, dude, Icopro, Icopod, it's perfect. And I'm like, you got it. Let's do it. So that's all Austin Skinner. Well, shout out Austin Skinner. And also, uh, while we're here, shout out to Chris Lacey. Uh, keeping your seat warm for you, pal, and uh, hope to see you back here soon. Uh, get back safe from your uh, vacation. Uh, hopefully the HR uh, department of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast won't be calling you to get you back. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, thanks for letting me uh, fill in here, and I hope I've uh, continued the legacy of the hard work you've put in since taking over the show, oh, those many years ago. We are on Patreon, patreon.com slash wrestling20yrs, and there is just so much bonus content going up there. For only $5 a month, yes, $5 a month, as much free content as you can possibly ingest. Maybe not that much, but quite a bit for $5 a month. Give us a shout, give us a listen, and give us your hard-earned dollars. I am Eric Landstrom on Twitter, at Modern Day Lawyer. I don't have any other podcasts except for occasionally appearing on other ones that I'm invited to. But check me out, at Modern Day Lawyer. The podcast, Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast, is on Twitter. It is on Facebook. 
I don't have those specific addresses written down in front of me, but trust me, they're there. Come find us on Twitter. Come find us on Facebook. We'd love to interact with you. It's the best thing we do. I'm going to continue this rant here and let you know that if you do enjoy the show, and I know a lot of you do, and even if you don't, even if you hate listening to it, you think, Christ, those two Americans have just been talking about ECW for way too long. Go on iTunes and give us five stars, and then say whatever you want to say. Just make sure you plug in those five stars, and you plug in a little review, or your chicken, uh, you know, your big chicken recipe, or your favorite whiskey, or you tell Bob Calling other great podcast names that are out there, but there aren't any better than IcoPod. But anyway, just very important that you plug in a little review there so it shoots us up the algorithm, and more people can find the show, and more people can be on the show. It's a great show. Just go on there, iTunes, five stars, write a review, whatever you want to say. And again, three volumes this month. Volume one is the WWF and St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Volume two is WCW and Super Brawl. And this has been volume three, ECW. So for Bob Calling and for Chris Lacey and for Rory McNamara, who's been hovering over in the background of the show the entire time, I am Eric Landstrom. Goodbye.